You're listening to Mr. Open Banking, the only podcast dedicated to exploring the open banking movement. Whether you're a financial expert, banking executive, or everyday consumer, open banking affects everyone and will change the way we interact with our money. I'm A.L. Savan, your host. This episode is brought to you by Axway, leaders in enterprise integration for over 20 years. The first movers in open banking, such as Europe and the UK, were driven by a desire to introduce more competition into banking. But it wasn't competition that turned open banking into a global phenomenon. It was, in a word, innovation. Competition could have been introduced in many ways, some quite old school. Instead, open banking called for something new. Securely sharing data through digital channels using standardized APIs with the customer's consent. This new idea, this innovation, is common to all open banking initiatives around the world. Even so, in many regions, it still takes a back seat to other drivers like competition, inclusion, or stability. However, there is one region where innovation is firmly front and center. The Middle East. The Middle East and North Africa, a region known by the acronym MENA, has embarked on its own open banking journey with a bang. Bahrain, Oman, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Kuwait, Israel, and Egypt have all introduced some form of open banking initiatives. While they may vary greatly in scope and approach, they all have one thing in common a laser focus on modernizing their banking sector. Above all else, the primary driver is innovation. Part of this comes from the unique needs of consumers in the MENA region. These include serving migrant workers who deal with multiple currencies, digitally savvy youth on the latest 5G networks, and a growing middle class who are, in fact, overbanked. Approaches vary from country to country as well, running the gamut from market-led to regulatory-driven. On this episode, we're going to focus on a subset of the MENA region, the countries who are members of the Gulf Cooperation Council, or the GCC. Together, in their similarities and their differences, they form a microcosm of global open banking, a world of new ideas and new opportunities, one which our guest will help us explore. Hakan Uruglu's experience is both tenored and far-reaching. With more than 13 years of international experience in open banking strategy, building APIs, and designing digital payment schemes across Europe, MEA, Latin America, and Asia, Hakan is global in both title and practice. Today, he is the Global Open Banking Lead and Open Data Practice Lead 
at MasterCard. As a board member of the Berlin Group's NextGen PSD2 Advisory Board and participant in the Open Banking Working Group of the European Banking Association, Hakan makes strong contributions in Europe. However, he is particularly active in the Middle East and North Africa. As a recognized top 30 MENA fintech influencer, board member of the MENA Fintech Association, or MFTA, and a member of the Fintech Working Group of the Arab Monetary Fund, or AMF, he is playing a leading role in bringing open banking to the Middle East. His articles can be read on Forbes Middle East, he's often a featured speaker at regional events, and his papers on open banking published through the MFTA, are among the most widely read and respected. Hakan, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Eyal, for having me here. Let's start by giving our listeners an idea of what the banking system looks like in the Middle East. On the show, we've often heard the term unbanked or underbanked. But in one of your papers, you describe the MENA region as overbanked. What does that mean? Overbanking actually means in a society of consumers where consumers have access to a wide range of banking services, normal current accounts, where consumers, for example, don't really struggle to get access to loans and mortgages in general. That's basically what we talk about overbank, especially in the GCC region. It is an area of use case, of course, that can be developed for the overbanked, especially when it comes to solutions around account aggregation, about giving better overview on the banking services that they have and help them to compare products, switch products and to educate them. It's not only about the underbank to help them to understand how their financial situation is. It's also about those who have a lot of accounts and lots of access to banking as payment services to educate them as well, how they can improve their everyday lives. Now, in the open banking space, the main ambition is actually to attract innovation and talents to the region with open banking to say, hey, people come and develop use cases. We want to have innovation. We want to have great talents but also to help to build an innovation ecosystem in the country. So that's why open banking is actually being triggered and being positioned in the market. Not everyone is overbanked. So we have also foreign workers, people are coming from abroad to work in the region as well, to allow them to have better access to loans, to have better access to new payment methods, to uh, solutions around financial literacy. It's really exciting what's happening at the moment in the region, and I'm really glad to today talk about it. Open banking is coming to MENA in a big way. They've gone from almost no open banking three years ago to all announcing plans at roughly the same time and moving quite quickly. What happened to drive this enthusiasm for setting the wheels in motion? I've seen that journey over the last three, four years, actually, with some countries like Bahrain, starting with regulation. And of course, the question always arises, why would we do that, right, in the region, even though it's something that just recently started in other regions, like in Europe, 
the European Union with the PSD2 regulation and the UK with the open banking regulation. The leaders in this space around open banking regulation and leading the way towards openness in the banking space. And of course, it created excitement globally, not only in the GCC region, but also in countries like Brazil, where there is an open finance regulation. Australia came up with an open banking slash open data regulation with the CDR. And the GCC region, it became a, a topic of interest because of, as I mentioned earlier, it's a vehicle to create environment of innovation. When Bahrain started with the journey 2018, with the first open banking regulation that was close to that approach of Europe with PSD2 and UK open banking, uh, building standards, asking the banks to open up for account information and payment initiation, and then to create an environment that allows fintechs to apply for licenses and then to build solutions, and then for Bahrain to become the center of innovation for fintech. And that, of course, created interest in the other countries as well, like Saudi Arabia and UAE and Kuwait. That is, I think, a quite exciting one because it's not necessarily to increase competition as such or to reduce costs in the economy. It's more about, I would say, innovation and financial inclusion and help the countries to thrive. In the GCC region, I would say, the banking market there is evolving rapidly. Open banking is actually the innovation driver in the end. It's also about new business models to think about how can I serve consumers much better than I've done before. It's helping the industry to think about frictionless customer experience, about embedded finance and other topics. And it's a big push towards a more digital and more inclusive banking system in the region. We shouldn't be really thinking about it from an European angle or from the US angle. For example, the GCC has a completely own answer to it, but with influence, of course, from Europe. For the MENA region and the GCC in particular, the goal is decidedly innovation. Many of these countries actually began modernization programs long before open banking came on the scene, investing billions into building the latest digital infrastructure and attracting the best talent. Open banking is often seen as a key pillar of those efforts, or as Hakan says, a vehicle to create an environment of innovation. Though they all share a common driver in the form of innovation, nevertheless, they are not all approaching it in quite the same way. I ask Hakan to explore how they differ. Can you speak to some of the differences between the approaches being taken in each country and the factors that might make them different? Yeah, absolutely. We have seen three different models of regulation or not regulation. So the first is the market-led approach, where the market is actually building solutions. Usually you have a 
some kind of a sandbox. Banks building API platforms, developer portals, and starting to engage with fintechs, engaging with developers, creating a community of developers and marketing, right? And building that sense of, yes, we understood, we want to innovate, we want to work with third parties. However, the adoption is slow because every bank would do it a different way. They have probably different use cases and different standards and probably a different way of marketing these APIs. When a developer wants to build a solution for the whole country, then it's difficult for the developer because they have to speak to different banks in a different way and that's hindering innovation. So that's why I think the market-led approach is a good start, but I think there needs to be a, a more structured way of doing things in order to get things moving in the country. The other extreme is to have a prescriptive approach. That would be actually the European approach or the Brazilian approach where the regulator, uh, usually the some kind of a national authority, be it the central bank or banking authority, that is coming up with a regulation to tell the banking market to open up uh, with APIs and with concrete use cases. The classic one is account information and payment initiation, which is it's an approach that, that could work in a way because you have usually phases and deadlines and timelines that you set and you push and force the banks to open up. So you will have some kind of APIs in the end and then developers can connect and aggregators can connect and build solutions on top which is something that the regulator actually wants. However, this approach could be not necessarily the fastest one. Let's say a fast implementation of the minimum requirements of the regulation. But then usually afterwards it slows down because the regulation is something that will cost something to the bank. So the banks will have to spend money on building the API platforms and hiring people and talents to build those APIs. But most of these regulations are not providing the option for banks to charge anything. So banks need to think about business models, how they can make money with that. That's why the whole thing could slow down after the minimum requirements has been met. The best model or a good model, I would say, would be the facilitated approach, something in the middle which is the central bank or some kind of an authority in the country would come up with guidelines on use cases, on best practice for technical standards, and probably to also announce and form working groups where industry experts are working on the API standards. Then they are binding for all the banks and coming up with guidelines for customer experience, how the front end should look like in the end to have a frictionless and a consistent customer experience. So it allows to have a consistent implementation of open banking. The regulator can also provide a plan with different phases on where the banks and when the banks need to provide what. And also to have regulatory sandboxes in place where first fintechs can apply and then build and test those new services in this regulatory sandbox with the banks, with those standard APIs and the standard way of doing things. And it 
gives you the air to breathe as an industry. You can, as an industry, decide what's the right thing to do because they know best what's best for the customer. But it also has this oversight of the uh, authorities who give the, the timeline and uh, the guidelines when to do it, how to do it, and what's actually the goal and the benefit out of it when it's being implemented. But it also has its risk. There is no patented solution that works well everywhere. So you need to really fine tune it as an agile regulator. So you start with a first phase, with a first approach, and then you observe where the market is going, and then you're fine tuning. You've written that market-led versus regulation-led open banking isn't really a split, it's more of a spectrum. Is that what you're describing? Yeah, absolutely. There are two extremes. The one is market-driven, the other one prescriptive. It's actually a spectrum. The art of it is in the end to write, find the right mix of both that we call facilitated because we have the regulator really moderating the whole development, but also giving the clear guidelines, deadlines, and all the different rules but let the industry to develop the solutions that is helping everyone to evolve on top of it. The debate around market-led versus regulatory-driven is something of a classic in open banking circles. Based on his global observations, Hakan offers an elegant answer. It's not a binary choice. It is, in fact, a spectrum. There are two extremes on this spectrum. On the one side, prescriptive, mandated, regulated, required. This approach can often yield a rapid burst of growth as financial institutions race towards compliance. However, once the minimum requirements are met, regulation can often hinder true innovation. On the other side, market-led. Incumbents and fintechs forming consortiums and working in lockstep to develop standards. In reality, these efforts are often painfully slow and can lead to closed networks, bilateral agreements, and conflicts of interest. Hakan recommends the third way, which he calls facilitated. The regulator sets the guardrails. These could include an implementation framework, user experience guidelines, or a shared sandbox. From there, the market works within these guardrails to build something that meets the objectives, but also makes sense to them the best of both worlds. Being a spectrum also means that one size does not fit all. If you are an individual country, even if your region is covered by common regulation, you still have to find your spot on that spectrum. That's where Hakan and I go next, as we use his framework to zoom in on a couple of standout countries in the GCC region beginning with perhaps the most advanced of all, Bahrain. 
Bahrain, one of the first countries to implement some kind of standard. Can you describe Bahrain's approach to open banking and the progress they've made to this point? Yeah, I think Bahrain is the very first one in the region, first country to come up with the regulation. They are clearly a prescriptive in the spectrum when you look at it, prescriptive regulation. It's uh, the European approach, the UK approach of doing things with a API standard that is binding for all the banks. Bahrain has 30 retail banks, in total 120 banks in the country with corporate banks, foreign banks. They started the journey 2018 with the open banking regulation. And in order to increase the adoption of usage from a consumer perspective, the central bank decided to come up with a revised version of the regulation 2020 with something called then the open banking framework, which also includes guidelines for customer experience to improve the consistency of the end consumer facing customer journeys, eventually to increase the adoption of open banking use cases. The open banking framework also increased the scope of data and products. So it's not only about the current account anymore. We are now talking about loans, uh, mortgage, credit cards, insurance, and more. And I think that was one of the learnings from Europe, but also the learnings that they went through after launching the first law 2018. Saudi Arabia is already home to a novel digital banking environment, including thriving P2P lending, and EKYC. In 2021, they announced their own open banking plans. Can you describe the current state of open banking in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, absolutely. Saudi Arabia came up with a, an ambitious open banking policy. It's actually kickstarting the discussion, the journey of Saudi Arabia towards an open banking framework. And I've been also in discussions with banks and also with the regulator to see what's the right approach for Saudi Arabia with an open banking regulation and, and how the regulation actually then triggers an ecosystem that really would work in the country. Increase the investments in the country, but also investments coming from outside the country to invest in Saudi Arabia. I think open banking is a very important pillar of the Vision 2030 to create that innovation environment. The regulation that is being built at the moment is also about to create API standards. Most likely they will be quite close to those that are in the market already, like the European one, the Brazilian one, with use case around access to financial data but also to allow third parties to make payments with payment initiation. And we've seen also the increasing number of account aggregators in Saudi Arabia. The SANA announcements that are coming up more frequently with fintechs that are building open banking solutions, aggregation solutions. The United Arab Emirates, UAE, has been one of the first countries to launch a digital ID initiative called UAE Pass. Can you describe how digital ID is being used there and how it may accelerate their open banking efforts? 
The Central Bank of UAE is working on an open finance framework. It's in development. One of the things that are important for that is actually there are different building blocks to create that functioning open banking ecosystem, which it also includes on top of use case design and API standards. And it's also about consent management, a digital ID, infrastructure in the country that could also improve the adoption of uh, open banking use cases. In the current open banking implementations that we see globally, it can be quite challenging for consumers to manage consent and also to manage different ways of accessing different type of data from different bank accounts or from different providers. So first of all, you have consumers, especially in the region, they have multiple bank accounts and they need to make sure that they know the online banking credentials of every bank. And that could create confusion and a lower adoption of this, right? Consumers don't like friction. They don't like confusion. They want to have a easy to use solution in the end. In the UAE and uh, digital ID is used for a lot of government services to extend the passport, for example, or to make an appointment and more. They're all using the digital ID uh, and they have it also on their smartphones. And that could be also a building block of an open finance ecosystem, but also of a wider open data ecosystem as well, which could also include consent management and more, and to give back consumers control over the data through that platform. It sounds like many of the countries in the region are already thinking well beyond open banking and moving into open finance. Is that right? Yeah, I would say so. It's also about how do you define open banking, open finance, and the way the industry so far has defined it. Open banking is really the, the first generation or the first phase of these banks opening up. That's mostly about uh, to expose the current account. It's more about payments. It's about account information of a current account, of an online accessible payment account. In open finance, we're talking about the wide range of banking services, loans, mortgages, credit cards, insurance, even investment instruments and stocks and ETF in order to allow third parties to create more use cases. And it allows consumers to benefit from better services. Many countries are leapfrogging that first phase to say, we don't need that first phase of just opening up the bank account. Why not the full scope and then cut it into different phases and get the market opening up fully, fully open the finance products and allow the, uh, the industry to develop solutions around it. The open finance is the way to go. Let's talk about payments. Even prior to the pandemic, there was an accelerating shift from cash to digital payments. McKinsey reported that digital wallets will be the most preferred mode of payment in the next five years in the Middle East. Why are digital payments such a unique match for the MENA region? Where is that demand coming from? The one is pandemic, of course, you mentioned, but even before pandemic, we have seen the development. One of that is, of course, the high use of mobile phones, of smartphones. It's around 80 to 90% of the population, they own a smartphone. 
And especially in the GCC region, we are even talking about access to 5G. So I think network coverage is there and it's uh, affordable to buy a smartphone, right? And of course, the other one is digital, investing in new core banking solutions into new front ends, attracting people, talents, fintechs to build those services to allow consumers even to open a bank account remotely and not necessarily to go to a branch where a human being can see you and check your ID and your passport and everything. Can do that fully digital now. That's something that needs to be mentioned as well. It's not only about technology and about people have smartphones. It's also about to have regulators in place who see the change and to create that regulatory environment that allows that type of innovation. A whirlwind tour of the GCC reveals that no two countries are alike in their approach to open banking. While they may differ, they are all striving to find a balance between market-led and prescriptive. Their spot on the spectrum. Bahrain leans more prescriptive, looking for that burst of growth compliance brings, first in 2018 and again in 2020, the bold move into open finance. Saudi Arabia has opted for more market-led moves, leveraging high-end infrastructure and enticing fintechs as they fold open banking into their Vision 2030 program. The UAE is trying to strike a balance between the two, while at the same time building upon existing systems and setting a course towards broad, open data. We didn't even have time to cover Kuwait, Oman and Qatar, all of whom are on similar journeys. For those keeping score, that's every country in the GCC. Elsewhere in the MENA region, excellent progress is also being made in Israel and Egypt, both of whom are equally enthusiastic and equally committed to innovation. Even Iran and Iraq are starting to join. It is fair to say, without any exaggeration, that open banking has spread across the whole of the Middle East. Now the question becomes, how can they best collaborate? to raise all boats. Given your global experience, how important is regional collaboration? Let's start with MENA, but see if we can extract some lessons for other regions as well. Do the MENA countries have to move in lockstep or can they essentially go their own way? Let's start with Europe. In Europe, it's a completely different approach. In the European Union, one regulation, which is a uh, regulation that had to be implemented in national law uh, in every country, right? In all the uh, 26 countries now of the European Union, they had to implement in national law the EPSD2 regulation. It also allows providers to apply for a license in one country. Let's say they go to Germany, to the German regulator, and they get the license. 
they can use the PSD2 license across the whole continent, like for uh, all the, the other countries as well. That's called passporting. It allows competition in the region, in the market, and allows also consumers who are traveling a lot between those countries who have multiple bank relationships within the continent to allow them to have one single application to do everything across the whole continent. Why not, right? So that's the idea about helping customers and why not helping them to do things cross-border. That also requires collaboration and also requires the same way of doing things. And this was something that happened in Europe because the national implementation of the regulation is not exactly the same because every regulator has slightly differently interpreted the, the PSC2 regulation in their national flavor, but more or less it's, it's almost the same. So it's a kind of a consistent way of doing things. Now, when we look into the MENA or the GCC region, as we said, with Bahrain, it started and we have now Saudi Arabia looking into it. We didn't mention Qatar, Kuwait, uh, who are also having their own way of building open banking. It's worth to even think about how the countries can have a consistent approach to allow the industry to build solutions that work in all these countries. And also about those consumers most likely to have multiple bank relationships in the region, it would be worth actually to, to allow that some kind of a passporting solution where you have fintechs from Saudi Arabia, for example, operating in UAE or in Bahrain or vice versa. I think the whole region could benefit from that to have a common framework and to allow the fintechs and the industry players to operate in those regions and provide cross-border solutions for their customers. Let's close with a big picture question. What do you think are some of the key lessons that other regions could learn from MENA? I would say that what I've seen, which was really exciting in the region, was the excitement about innovation. And that's not only about open banking, it's also about fintech, about crypto. There is a, a hunger to leapfrog things, not to go through the different steps that other regions went through, to actually say, let's be open, let's be enthusiastic about the new technologies and really start building new solutions, building sandboxes and attracting talents all over the world to come to the region. I think this energy that I've experienced in Dubai, Abu Dhabi or Bahrain, it's really tremendous what I've seen. I think that that energy of building that vision, how a banking world could look like in five, ten years is really, really fascinating. Fantastic. Hakan, where can our guests find out more about you and your work with MasterCard and beyond? On our website, of course, we have a open a banking, open data practice site uh, where you get more information. Otherwise, I'm on Twitter, on LinkedIn. I'm posting a lot about thought leadership. Also, when I'm, for example, on one of these exciting events as well, where we are presenting our 
thinking about open banking, open finance, reach out to me. I'm really looking forward to meeting you there. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Eyal. That was amazing and really great uh, talking to you. While Europe is often considered the birthplace of modern banking, the true origins of banking go back much further to around the 4th millennium BCE in the region today known as the Middle East. The first laws of commerce ever recorded were set down by Hammurabi in Babylonia around 1755 BCE, marking the first time that government and deposit holders, essentially early banks, had to find a way to work together to create a stable economy that their citizens could rely on to grow. Today, with open banking storming its way across the Middle East, we see this challenge playing itself out once more, after millennia. In a 2020 survey conducted by Hakan and his colleagues at the MFTA, of 18 central banks and monetary authorities surveyed in the region, eight ranked fostering innovation and attracting fintechs as their top priority for open banking. And only two prioritized increased competition. These numbers tell a story of a region focused on change, hungry to build something entirely new. The story is not just about open banking. It includes chapters on 5G and the end of cash and a growing audience of technologically savvy youth. Many in the region see open banking as a way to stitch all these threads together. Their sights set on building the financial ecosystem of the future. To get there, the countries of the MENA region will have to find a way to collaborate, both internally and with each other. They must learn to balance the needs of regulators, banks, fintechs, and other third parties as they fine-tune their position on Hakan's spectrum. It will not be easy, but the result will be worth it. To quote the MFTA, the outcome will be a participatory environment in the region where banks and fintechs can innovate and better position themselves for economic growth through an improved and inclusive financial ecosystem. The very essence of open banking. Thanks for listening to Mr. Open Banking, the podcast that explores the ongoing evolution of open banking and its impact on our lives. Make no mistake, the rise of open banking is going to change financial services forever. And we will be covering that story every step of the way. This is your host, A.L. Savan. Until next time. This episode was made possible by Axway, leaders in enterprise integration for over 20 years and creators of the Amplify platform. To learn more, visit axway.com.